we're going to go ahead and look at our passage today, which is Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21. Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 21. It says, Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Wild animals, jackals, and ostriches will honor me because I will provide water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. All right, let's pray. Father, we come uh, humbly this morning uh, in your presence, in the presence of your Lord, or the Lord Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, to worship you here this morning, to worship the eternal God, the creator God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in truth and in spirit. Lord, we're here to hear, learn, listen, receive, and obey all that it is that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last Sunday on Easter, we started talking about this. We started talking about new thing, right? How Jesus uh, makes a way. And we started looking at this passage in the book of Isaiah, which is in the first half of the Bible. So the Bible, our English Bible, is kind of divided into two halves. Um, first is the Old Testament. The second is the New Testament. The first is about the promise that God made to send Jesus into the world. The second is about how we actually came, right? The New Testament. So Isaiah is in the Old Testament. And the book of Isaiah is, is really a vision that God uh, revealed to him. So Isaiah sees this vision uh, of the future, of this new thing that, that God is doing um, in the world. So from Isaiah's perspective, um, everything that he sees is in the future. It's a vision of the future. How do you guys feel about the future this morning? couple laughs, couple chuckles. Maybe the, this morning, uh, for you, the future is bright. You look out in the future and you say, well, this looks, everything looks good. It's very bright. Um, maybe for others in here, you look in the future and you see dark clouds forming on the horizon and you see, uh, you know, bad weather to come, so to speak. Um, some people are op optimistic. Some people are pessimistic about the future. Some people are hopeful about the future because they are hopeful about progress, right? And they might call themselves progressives, and maybe that's uh, where you're at here this morning. Um, I want to read to you something C.S. Lewis um, wrote about progress. This is what he says. I think I got it. Yeah. We all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turn, then... To go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn, a U-turn, and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. That's very insightful. Um, I recently took a trip to D.C., and me and my oldest daughter were down in the metro, riding the metro all around, and we were headed towards our destination. So we thought. Right? We got on the wrong train because we didn't know what in the world uh, we were doing. So we were actually going in the opposite direction. So we had to get off the train and then go 
uh, in, the, in the right direction. So progressing in the wrong direction isn't actually very hopeful. And that's something to think about if you consider yourself to be progressive, right? Uh, how do you know if you're going in the right direction? Other people, uh, you know, look at the future and it's not so bright. Maybe you're the one who sees the, the way things are right now in our culture and society and you see things breaking down, you see dark clouds on the, on the horizon um, and maybe you're upset. Maybe you're cynical, you kind of just want to retreat from it all and just give up on it all and just um, stick to yourself, fearful, anxious, don't see much hope. So a lot of folks in this category, here's what they do. They react. So progressives are hopeful about things changing, right? Other folks react, and here's what they do. They want to go back to a bygone era. They want to go back to some uh, earlier period uh, in American history or, or whatever um, and resurrect it. Is that you? Are you a, are you, are you a reactionary uh, type person? This passage is neither. It's not about forgetting the past, right? Neither is it about progressing into the future in the wrong direction. But instead, it's about the new thing that God is going to do, all right, which is neither of those things. So I've got three things about the new thing, okay? Three things about the new thing, and, and I need to set it up first, okay? Give me, give me a couple minutes. You guys with me this morning? All right, cool. Isaiah is saying here that uh, what God is going to do in the future is going to cast a shadow on the greatest events in Israel's history. Okay? So think about, there's probably two of those, the big ones. God created everything. How about that? That's a pretty big event. And he went and rescued them from the most powerful ruler in the world at the time, Pharaoh, through the hand of Moses, and he made them his very own people. So Isaiah sees this thing happening in the future, and it, it is so big and so incredible that it casts a shadow over those uh, events. And what eclipses, eclipses those events is what God has done in and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We looked at that last week. That the new thing that Isaiah looks out into the future and sees is the resurrection and all that God is doing in and through that. There's a guy, his name is um, N.T. Wright. He is probably one of the foremost scholars on the resurrection and on the New Testament just in general. Um, and uh, here's what he says about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is the launching of God's new world. Check that out. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? He's saying, look, this is just the beginning. It's a, it's a launch. The resurrection is a launch of God's new world uh, that he's bringing about, right? So... Um, in case you don't know, we had a grand opening for this, this space uh, last Sunday on Easter. We had a block party. We had a celebration. It was a fabulous time. had a great time. Now, can you imagine if you showed up here this morning and the doors were locked? That would be anticlimactic, wouldn't it? Same with the resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus is just the beginning. Our Opening, grand opening is really just saying, hey, we're here. This is the launch, like the, the beginning of all that God could do here uh, in, this, in this space. So, the resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of the new thing, which is still continuing over 2,000 years later. Um, 
The resurrection, therefore, the resurrection is something that cannot be ignored. It cannot be dismissed. Cannot be forgotten. And here's why. A man walked out of a grave. Can you imagine, uh, you know, this week, someone rises from the dead here in one of the cemeteries in Morgan County? That would at least make the paper, you think? Yeah, it doesn't happen. People don't walk out of the grave, and that's what happened to Jesus. Therefore, it cannot be ignored. It cannot be denied. And we talked about, uh, this passage says that. Don't you see it? It's obvious. One way that uh, the resurrection has uh, been attempted to be dismissed or ignored is through something called liberal theology. Right? Now, you may not have any clue what that is, but I'll tell you, it's in our community, okay? Liberal theology, and theology is just a study of the Bible, what the Bible has to say. It is an attempt to dismiss the resurrection. It is something that emerged in the 1800s, the 19th century, and basically science was uh, developing, and technology, and people's morality was changing. They were trying to think about the world apart from the Bible. So they said, well, um, the modern age makes traditional belief in, uh, in, in the Bible and in Christianity impossible. That's liberal theology. Doctrines like the resurrection. It says, listen, because everything has progressed so far, right, this old traditional doctrine, we can't continue to hold to it, but there's still a kernel of spiritual value in it. See that? So, I read an article interviewing this lady uh, this past week. Her name is Serene Jones. She's the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, which is a liberal theological seminary. Right? She was asked, point blank, do you think of Easter as a literal flesh and blood resurrection? Like, you could touch Jesus when he uh, came back from the dead. If you would have had a video camera set up, HD, you would have saw him. She said, I have a problem with that. She said, the empty tomb symbolizes, it's, a, it's just a symbol, that ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified or killed. And this is the teaching of liberal theology and the mainline Protestant denominations, uh, even in our community. And I'll let you look those up if you so uh, uh, feel, feel like you want to do it, right? But we have it right here. Uh, this, is what, this is what Paul said about the resurrection, the Apostle Paul. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 32, there at the end, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And his point is this. Listen, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, there is no such thing as love. There's no such thing as ultimate love. The only thing there is left to do is just live it up because life doesn't have any meaning. Life doesn't have any ultimate purpose. It's not going anywhere. So get as drunk as you want, get as high as you want, feel as good as you want because it doesn't really matter in the end if the dead aren't raised. That makes perfect sense. He also goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. See that? Shut the church down because it doesn't even matter. If he, if he isn't raised, it's just some spiritual feeling or, you know, a little fluttering in your heart. You're still in your sins. Ultimate love is Jesus' self-sacrifice on the cross. And that man is risen from the dead. People want to ignore the uh, resurrection by returning to the paganism that Christianity has overcome in the past. 
And listen, folks, we live in a pagan culture, okay? And that doesn't mean that we retreat from culture. That's not what our church is about. We just need to know what time it is. This is a pagan culture. that we, Here, paganism is very simple, right? Here's what it is. It is worshiping God's stuff rather than God the creator. It's simple. It ain't hard. It is basically saying all the world is one, and the gods and the spirits and everything else and the beings are inside that, and there's no creator God outside of it. Therefore, I just live for myself. I'm materialistic. I escape through entertainment and drugs and whatever else. And basically, I don't worship the creator God, but I sure do like stuff. I see the, it sees the purpose of spirituality. You hear, this is, this is the way people talk today. I, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious. But the spirituality that they're talking about is something that just makes them feel good, makes them feel happy, right? So paganism in our culture is really like, spirituality is like Golden Corral. Right? You go to Golden Corral and you just, you just put whatever you want on your plate, chicken wings and barbecue ribs and uh, mashed potatoes. And I'm just talking about all the stuff I would do. Right? No, no vegetables, no. And the fried chicken and the barbecue chicken, everything else on there. So it's whatever I pick and choose that makes me happy, that's, what's, that's paganism. Right? And it ignores the reality that Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of the grave. And here's the deal. That cannot be ignored. It cannot be dismissed. He's risen. He's reigning. And he's making everything new again. So, Three things about this new thing that God is doing in through the resurrection of Jesus. The first is physical transformation. Ready? Physical transformation. Look at this passage again in verse 19 and 20. Look at this. Towards the end. I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Yeah, go on to the next one. Wild animals, jackals, ostriches will honor me because I will provide water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So just use your imagination. What is this a picture of? Isaiah sees this vision of the future of what God is going to do, and what does he see? Right? The point here is God is providing water where there is none. He's taking a barren wasteland, and he's making it an oasis, a, a paradise. And it says even the animals are happy, doesn't it? The jackals and the ostriches are going to honor me. God's abundance and his grace and the overflow of his goodness makes the animals happy, makes the animals uh, rejoice. So you guys, hopefully everybody knows there's a mural on the outside of the wall here that we haven't done. And um, there's an artist who's helping us with that. And we sat down and talked about what do we want to put on there? What is the idea? What, what, do, you, what do you want? What, what are your thoughts? And I said, the resurrection. The resurrection is the one of the central doctrines of Christianity without which you don't have uh, Christianity. Uh, but we talked about how the resurrection is more than just Jesus' resurrection. Right? Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God giving us a new world. Right? So that's the idea behind uh, the mural uh, out there. And this is what we see in Isaiah 43 is the transformation of the physical world. We see the desert becoming like the Garden of Eden again. And this is really all throughout the Bible, if you're paying attention. It's all throughout the Scriptures. All right, and, and in the book of Isaiah, I'll give you another place. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. Let's look at that. 
Isaiah chapter 11 is one of the cl really clear places in the book of Isaiah where it talks, of, where it talks about the coming of, of Jesus. And it says he's going to be uh, a king that comes from the line of David. And here's what's going to happen when the king comes. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. I know you guys have probably heard this before. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf is going to lie down with the young lion. And the fattened calf will be together. And look at this. A child will lead them. They're going to be tame for the kids. It's a petting zoo, the wolf and the lamb. Now, what typically happens when these animals get together? Somebody, somebody becomes lunch, right? Wolf and a lamb hanging out together. We know that's not a good combination. We don't put them in a pen together, right? That's, that's, not, that, that's not a good thing. And then it says... Listen, a little kid is going to be able to play with all these animals and lead them and take care of them. They're going to be tame uh, for, for little children. The picture here is the resurrection transforming the entire world. That is the creation, the physical world that we, that we live in. And this is the Christian hope. This is the Christian hope. The Christian hope is the creation being set free and being made new. See, the gospel is bigger than what you think. Let me ask you a question. Is all right in the world? I'm not, just, I'm not even talking about the people. I'm talking about the physical part of it. Is everything right? This world will crush you. You can die out here. You, you, people will die in Morgan County because of this world. Not because of anything they've done, but because it's just the world. Right? Uh, the world will blow you up, shock you, drown you, make you sweat. Make you frustrated, won't cooperate, won't rain when it's time to plant the garden. And all those different things it is uh, always not right. The world, the world itself is crying out for resurrection. This is what the scriptures clearly teach. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. Look at it. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Do you see that? The whole creation is groaning and ready to give birth to the resurrection. The resurrected world. Look what it says. Not only that, but we ourselves as Christians who have the Spirit as the first fruits. See that? Jesus has resurrected. He's given us the Spirit and it's beginning to bear fruit in our lives, which is the beginning of the new world. Beginning of, 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 of God resurrecting everything. We also groan. We as Christians groan in this world eagerly awaiting for the adoption, check this out, the redemption of our bodies. That is crazy. You see, the world is in labor pains. Right? I know, I know you all know about labor pains in here. Right? We've had two kids. This, that's crazy. That's a serious pain. And we Christians groan in this present world because we get old. We, we break down. Right? We die and go into the soil. We go into the earth. We come up out of it, and we go back into it, because all is not right in the world, but we've been given the Spirit. We've been given the Spirit as a foretaste of that fruit that is to come of, of, the, of the complete harvest. And when the risen Lord Jesus returns, He will transform this broken world and raise up our broken bodies. This passage that we looked at right here says, we are waiting the redemption of our bodies. That's strange, isn't it? I used to think that was weird. But I started getting older. 
I started having more medication than I was taking. I got diabetes. My body just don't do what it used to do. Man, this sounds better and better every year. Redemption of my body sounds better and better every year. I was uh, on the uh, treadmill uh, recently. You know, I was on the treadmill. And I was like, am I even running here? I used to be able to run, y'all. I am scared to run at this point. I'm afraid I'm going to twist an ankle, pull a hamstring, something, twist a knee, you know, but I had to look over in the mirror and just see, am I even making any progress here? Am I running? And then I was like, let me crack this thing up here. Man, I'm not even running, right? So then I started, right? I thought I was going to fall off at that point. I was like, I'm going to fall off in here and make an utter fool out of myself. But one day my body's going to be redeemed. I'm going to have a new body. And that is a beautiful thing. Can you imagine a day when there's no more getting tired? A a day when all your diseases and your afflictions are gone, no more broken bones, no more eyesight going bad, right? Energy to do what you want to do and glorify God, and no more death. That's coming. And the future is not bodiless. That's the point here. Our bodies, the future is right here. Flesh and blood. We can touch each other. We can touch the Lord Jesus and put our hands in the nail scars on his, head, on his hands. The future is not um, earthless or groundless. The future, I would imagine, you'll be able to put a shovel in the dirt. Something to think about. Our hope as Christians is a new heavens and a new earth. I hope as Christians it's not being floating up to into the sky and being a spirit, spirit ghost floating around up there like an angel. That is not the, uh, the future hope of Christians. The future hope of Christians is heaven coming down to earth and transforming this broken world. Just read the Bible. It's in there. I'm trying to show it to you. So, here's what this means. Our future is incredibly bright as Christians. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason for despair and cynicism. We have solid ground to stand upon as believers. No one else has this ground. No one else has it. Um, We have a reason to be solid as people, solid as a rock, because this is what's going to happen. We don't have to fear our bodies. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear disease or anything like that. We, We have something to be, we have something to look forward to as believers. There's a, um, I guess he's a country artist. Uh, his name is Ch- Tyler Childress. He's got a song. I was listening to it. And uh, the song is called Take My Hounds to Heaven, His Dogs. And this is, this is the lyrics. This is what he says. Now, you tell me there's, there's streets of gold and angels in the air. This is, this is the theology of most Christians. Now, that's all fine and dandy. And I'm sure it's nice up there. This is what he's heard in church. This is what he's heard from uh, Christians. Now, there's just one thing I need to know before I settle down. Can I take my hounds to heaven? Can I hunt on God's ground? That's a question to the church. Right? What is heaven going to be like? What what is the future going to be like? Floating around up there, uh, that sounds cool and everything, streets of gold. But I want to know, um, are there going to be hounds there? Is it going to be ground? All right? Well, maybe, if you believe in the resurrection. All right? We definitely know there's going to be ground there. 
Number two, think about it later on. Community restoration. Number two, community uh, restoration. Look at the end of verse 20 here. The end of verse 20. Isaiah 43, verse 20. Look at this. All right. So God's going to do this. He's going to provide waters in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. You see that? We want to we camp out on that phrase there, my chosen uh, people. Renovating this space, right? Uh, renovating the, uh, this space took about a year, a, a year in the making. And it was a, um, it was a huge project. Um, I came in here last week on a Monday, and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this, this place is pretty much done. You know what I mean? Like, I'm used to coming in here, and there's things to do. I mean, there's still stuff to do, but um, it's pretty much done, right? And, uh, you know, with something like this, you know, you have to figure out where do you start? You know, what's a priority? What, what's the, what are the stages of, uh, of a building process um, like this? Um, we just looked at how our passage this morning is about how God is going to give us a new world through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's quite a project, don't you think? God giving us a new heavens and a new earth, that is a serious uh, renovation project. Where does he start? Where does he start? He starts with us. That's where he starts. You see, what God is doing in and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is a community restoration project. God is transforming the world through the resurrection of Jesus, and it starts with, right here, his chosen people. That's where it starts. It starts with us. And listen, God is a good general contractor. He's the best. He doesn't have to ask anybody for advice. He never, um, he never consults YouTube. He doesn't go to Lowe's or anything like that. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what the priority is. So he goes right to the source of the problem. He takes uh, us back to where the world went wrong in the first place. And where did, where did everything go wrong with God's world? Yeah, exactly. It went wrong with the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. God gave them paradise. Joy, freedom, community. There was no breakdown. There was perfect fellowship between humanity and, uh, and God and the physical world. But they said, you know what? I think we'll have it our way. I think we'll try to figure this thing out on our own. And we really got some other things that we want to focus on, prioritize in our lives. And that's where everything fell apart. That's where sin and death chaos and everything else flooded into this world. It's where we fell apart as human beings. Uh, my girls have uh, shown me these uh, elaborate uh, domino videos on YouTube. And uh, I think the world record right now is 750,000 dominoes. Right? Can you imagine setting that up? The video is 17 minutes long of you know, going around, and it's, it's crazy. So when Adam and Eve pushed that first domino, right, it spread to the entire world, and it spread to us as well. And we saw this last week. We saw that how um, us choosing to turn our backs on God, to turn away from God, severed our relationship with him. So we saw how our sins have separated us from God. There's, and there's a barrier between us and God because we go the other way. Right? Not because uh, God has turned his back uh, on us. 
right? And you see that in the garden. You see Adam and Eve hiding from God. And then what did they do? They start hiding from each other, right? They felt shame. They covered themselves. Then they began to blame each other, right? Isn't this the world we live in? Hiding from one another, distancing each other, dividing from one another. We live in divided times, right? We divide up from one another, get in little groups, or maybe we just isolate completely. We retreat from society. We choose not to love people. You know, we live in a world of broken relationships. We live in a community of broken relationships. And this is a great community to be in. But there's a lot of broken relationships. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the only hope for our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. This is why God sent him into the world. God sent Jesus Christ into the world to restore our relationship with him. Right? And this is what's called reconciliation, that Jesus died on the cross and spilled his blood to make peace between us and God so that we could have a relationship with him now, so that we could be friends with God now. And he rose from the dead. This is why Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, to restore our relationship vertically with God, but also horizontally with one another. Jesus died and rose so that you could be raised from the dead spiritually and have that relationship with him and want that relationship, want to love other people. You know, when I became a Christian, here's what I found. I wanted to be around and love people who were completely different than me. That was different for me. And that's what it looks like to be a Christian. Our passage says this new thing that God is doing in and through the resurrection of Jesus is for my people. My chosen people, that's what he says there in uh, verse 19, I believe. When he says, my chosen people, that is the language of covenant in the scriptures. And you've got to get tripped up about that word. The word covenant is just like, a, you know, two people getting married. It's a promise of love till death do you part. It is a promise to be, we just read it. I mean, we just sang about it. He keeps coming after us. He keeps chasing after us. His never-ending never fading, never giving up love, his faithful love, right? This is what it means to be in a covenant. It means that you are his, my chosen people. But it also means that he is ours. That's a covenant. God, you are mine and I'm yours. And he's promising to be faithful to me, right? Like the songs that we sang, he comes after us when we stray. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't run away from us. God doesn't choose us because we're choose-worthy. God doesn't choose us because we're good or moral or upright or church-going or religious or we read our Bible or we go to Sunday school or our family grew up in the church or whatever it is or we keep the Ten Commandments or I'm a nice person or I'm loving. Feel where I'm going? He chooses us despite the fact that we're sinners. Because we're unworthy and unlovable. But he loves us anyway, or we're not lovable. He chooses us because he's gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. He is good. And this is why Jesus rose from the dead. And if this is true, then it just makes sense. If this is how God treats us top down, this is how we ought to treat one another in the church. 
See, if the church is where the seed of the resurrection has been planted and it's bearing the first fruits, then this is the place where we ought to see humanity coming together. We ought to see a new creation, a new humanity in the church because we are in covenant with God because Jesus has risen from the dead. So we ought to seek to be united together in covenant with one another. So we ought to seek, we ought to make every effort, every effort possible to be united with one another, to move towards one another in love. We ought to keep coming after one another. Never give up on one another. I, I give you a beautiful uh, place for this in the, in, the, in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. In Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, so he's walking through all these different ethnicities. Circumcision, uncircumcision. That's Jewish person, non-Jewish person. Barbarian, Scythian, different classes of people. Slave and free. But Christ is all. Christ is is most important above all that and he's in all of us therefore as God's chosen ones see that isn't that what Isaiah just said I'm doing this for my chosen ones that's us in Christ because of the resurrection holy and dearly loved put on compassion kindness humility gentleness patience look at this this is how we ought to treat one another bearing with one another putting up with each other putting up with each other, and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Look at this. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. So, verse 11 is saying that our unity as a church, as a Wellspring Church, is because of Jesus and not because of what ethnicity you are or shade of, of your skin. We find our unity in being in covenant with God in Christ and not what state you're from, right? I know I joke about a lot of different states in here, and West Virginia's the best, but I'm not going to go there today. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I spent 10 years in Virginia, loved it. Listen, our unity as a church is not about what state you're from, if you're local to Berkeley Springs or you're transplanted here, right? Our unity doesn't come... See, unity in the community comes from things like that. Are you, did you grow up here or did you move here? All right? And those are kind of like two people that unite, two groups that unite with one another, find unity. That's not where we find our unity. We find our unity in being in covenant with God in Christ as a church, not in our hobbies. Because Christ is all, Christ is over your hobby. And he's in all of us. Therefore, you can hang out with people who do stuff that you don't even care about. That you're not even interested in. That ought to be the priority. The priority is the people and not their hobbies. Right? But this is, this is the way the world lives. We get united around hobbies and interests and affinities. We find our unity as a church in being in covenant with God and Christ, not in how old we are. Right? This is, this is something, the world divides up like that, and it's called ageism. Right? But see, I, if you, Christ is above all, and he's in all, so guess what? You're friends. It doesn't matter how old you are. Congratulations. You are all friends with one another. Family in Christ. 
We find our unity in being in covenant with God in Christ as a church, not in how much money you have, right? Not in classes or income brackets, right? Because Christ is all. He's over all that. He's given you all that so you can serve and love one another, right? And be helped sometimes by other people because of how much money they have. So if all this is true, here's the deal. We need to seek to be united together with one another. Make every effort, the Bible says. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 when you go home. It says, make every effort to be united together, to keep that bond of peace in the Spirit. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the place where reconciliation happens between one another, right? Because we live in a broken world and a broken uh, humanity where we, we sin is... Sin is antisocial. Sin causes you to separate, distance, not care, and not pursue other people. Look what it says here. That we are to forgive. Well, we are to forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus forgiven you? Has God forgiven you? How much has he forgiven you? Think about it. He's forgiven you a whole bunch. So, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, are, you also are to forgive. See, because of what Jesus has done for us vertically through the resurrection, in covenant with one another, he is restoring those relationships. That's what the new humanity, the new creation um, looks like. So, here's what being in covenant with one another looks like uh, in the church. If someone sins against you. They do something to, to legitimately hurt you. You have a grievance against someone. You only got two options. And here are your options. You can humbly and kindly go and talk to that person and say, hey, listen. Listen, when you did that, like, that was sin and that really hurt me. Or whatever it is you say to them. Right? Or it, maybe you don't feel like you need to go to that person. You, you know, it's not, it's not to that level. And you just take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I forgive them and I love them and I'm not going to treat them any different because I've forgiven them and I've covered it over. So the only options are to confront or to cover. What isn't an option is going and talking to someone else about what they did. Because here's what that does. Sin has got in between you and that person, okay? Because they've done something, right? Now, what's not an option is going and talk to someone else and dividing up another relationship. You see that? Causing a division between that person and the person who hurts you. Because that's, that's gossip. Right? The only time you ever include someone in um, a grievance or a sin against someone is because you need help with it. Because you need uh, wisdom and guidance. Or maybe you need to bring someone else in uh, to help reconcile uh, the relationship. Listen. If God sent Jesus from heaven to earth to die and to resurrect so that we could be friends with God, here's what that means. We are friends with one another. It means that the local church, this church, you ought to make these people your primary friend group. I say, like, I got my close friends outside the church, and I got some acquaintances inside the church. No. If what God is doing in and through the resurrection is greater than the exodus, greater than the new creation, then focus on these friendships here. These people right here in this room are your friends now. That's amazing. That is incredible. So, maybe you're thinking, 
No one is being a friend to me. No one's really being a friend to me. That's not really the best way to think about it. The best way, because that's kind of like self-focus, right? And this is what Jesus died to set us free from. This is what continues to separate people. What we ought to say is, okay, how can I be a friend to someone? So who are you being a friend to? How can I move towards people, take the initiative, right, to move towards people um, in a relationship with others? Here's the deal. You don't have to wait for other people to obey Jesus for you to do it. Yeah, you ain't got to wait for anybody to obey Jesus for you to do it. Just go after them. Go and and be a a friend with uh, people. Uh, We want to be real friends as a church. We want to be real friends as a church. And uh, it doesn't matter if you have the same hobbies. It doesn't matter if you have the same background, experience, age, amount of money in your wallet or your bank account, right? We want to be friends with one another and uh, sacrifice for each other and hang out with one another and spend time uh, with one another. But also, I know that we're praying, God, that you would save people here, that you would grow this church, all right, that you would put more people in here. And you know what, you know what that means if that happens? It means there's going to be more people in here. So you know what that means? You've got to make room for more friends in your life. Yeah. You know, I was a part of a church in Richmond, Virginia, where I was pastoring the church with my best friends. But you know what? We had to make a lot of room for more friends in our lives because a lot of people needed friendship. They needed love. They needed care. They needed time. So we had to kind of put our friendships in, in and we had to prioritize the new friends is what I'm saying. If you have Jesus in common, then you're friends because Christ is all and he's in all. And that's, this is an utterly unique and radical opportunity is the community, rest, rest, community uh, restoration that the Lord is bringing about through the resurrection because we live in a divided time. We divide up over everything, right? It shouldn't be that way in the church, right? And this is what it looks like for the life of the resurrection, to be at work in the church making us a new community. Number three is public celebration. Look at it there in verse 21, public celebration. Look at this. The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. You see that? He looks out to the future. He sees God doing this new thing, and he says, man, those people are going to praise him because of it. They're going to to celebrate. It says, look at it, the people I formed. Now, the word formed there is the word for a potter making pottery. So God has formed his people like a, like a master builder or an, art, an artist forming a piece of beautiful pottery or art. And when someone makes a piece of pottery, I assume you all have pottery in your house, right? They make it for function. That is, maybe it's a coffee cup, you know. I got coffee cups that they're really not that uh, good to look at. They're just ugly, you know, but they, they serve a function of getting the coffee to me in the morning, all right, so I can live. All right, uh, so I can live and function and worship Jesus. Um, uh, or pottery is done for art as a piece of beauty. You put it up on, on a shelf um, and on display uh, for everybody uh, to see. So this passage says the new thing that God is doing through the resurrection of Jesus finds its final destination in your praise of him. The highest function of your existence, the breath in your lungs, the strength that you have in your body is to praise the Lord. Yes, it is. 
what's up with all this talk about God praising him? What, what is that? What do you think about that? God says that you will praise him. And he actually commands us to praise him in the scriptures. Do it. Celebrate the Lord. Praise the Lord with gladness. Celebrate him with instruments and symbols and all. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Right? Why does he, why does he want praise? Is it because he's codependent? He's so needy, he needs positive affirmation and uh, encouragement, and uh, he needs you to support him, and uh, he has emotional support animals and, and things like that. That's mean. I know it, isn't it? Um, is God emotionally needy? Look at Isaiah 43, verse 12. I alone declared, saved, and proclaimed, not some foreign God among you. So you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration, and I am God. I'm pretty sure he's good. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that God is, is okay. Um, one of the, the uh, things that makes God God is something called he is self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency means that God is good within himself. God has life within himself, community within himself, love within himself, glory within himself, and he doesn't need us. He doesn't rely upon anyone else. I alone did it. So while this talk of us being formed like a piece of pottery to praise him. Well, we had a celebration last week, right? We had a big party, block party, grand opening, and we did that because it was right. It was good to celebrate, right? All you guys' hard work, all your giving and dedication, right, to celebrate the fruit of our labor, and we didn't lock the doors so no one could join us. We invited them. We wanted other people to join us and to celebrate with us. This is God. God has got something good going on within himself. He's had this eternal celebration going on. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this mutual self-giving of love and glory and praise. And it's so amazing. God said, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if we invited someone else into this? Not because we need them, because we want to give it to them. We want to shower this upon them. We want to invite them into this. That's why we praise the Lord. Look, at, this is what John Piper, Pastor John Piper says about this. God seeks our worship not because it meets his need, but because it meets our need. And what is our need? What do you need? You need to be happy. You need to have your mind blown. You need, you need to feel excitement. You need to feel wonder and awe and glory and power and majesty, beauty, joy, overflowing, pleasures forevermore in the presence of God. Right? Listen, Christians, we ought to be the most joyful, happy, celebratory, laughing, kind, smiling people in the whole community. So, let me ask you a question. Do you need to repent of being joyless here this morning? Do you need to stop that and turn towards Christ and look at the resurrection? Because this thing says, listen, if you get it, you will praise him. You will be happy. All right? Do you need to repent this morning of being too sad, of living like he really ain't risen? 
living like he's really not going to transform this entire world, living like he's not going to set everything that's wrong right in the world, take everything that's evil and wicked and sinful out of it, not like he's going to give you a new body and take away all your diseases and all your infirmities and everything like that. And one day, there's not going to be any more broken relationships. There's not going to be any more division. Heaven, the new heavens and new earth, is a world of love and beauty and kindness. Do you need to repent of being overly sad and depressed? Here's the deal. You must be happy. You must be happy if you believe in the resurrection. Because of the resurrection and all that God is doing through Jesus, it is right for us to enjoy him publicly, to be unashamed. Because this is what it says. Listen, if you get it, you will declare his praise. This is why we are right here on this corner, right downtown, along with all the other businesses, we are here saying that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and we're going to declare his praise because we want to be happy and we want you to be happy too. Not only that, but declaring his praise means inviting other people into it, just like God has invited us into it. How'd you get invited? Someone told you that man was alive. Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. So for us as a church, to declare his praise means to go out to our families, our homes, our neighborhoods, our jobs, and everything we do and everywhere and all the time and say, hey, do you know that man's alive? You know someone risen from the dead? His name's Jesus. He loves you. died for you. Oh, you're going through a hard time? Listen, I love you. I'm praying for you. I just want you to know the love of Jesus. I want you to know there is hope in Christ. He is risen from the dead. Listen. Declaring his praise means telling everybody and everyone that he is risen from the dead. And that's what we want to do now.